Hello, you're listening to Film Graves. I'm Emmett. I'm Sam. We're from the rock and roll band Phil Graves, and we're here once again to talk about cinema. Uh, cards on the table, this is an episode I've wanted to do since we started the damn podcast, and it just so happens that the filmmaker we're talking about today, A Pitch Pong Where It's Ethical, has an amazing new movie out. Mm. Still in cinemas. It, well, it came out a couple of months ago now. Still at the View Finchley Road. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. No D box mm. though, sadly. Mm. Yeah, it would have been the perfect film for it. Literally. No. Um, all a pitch pong, or Joe as he's often called, and which we may call him frequently throughout this episode, all of his previous films have been set in Thailand, where he's from, often set in the northern um, region, like away from you know, the centre of power that is Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, yeah, his first film made outside of Thailand. And it's, yeah, set in Colombia. Stars uh, Tilda Swinton, muse of all art house filmmakers. Literally. Um, I was so worried about it, you know, I've probably said it on the podcast before because of, like, the man from London syndrome. And she was supposed to be in Cemetery of Splendour as well. But then in the end, they took her out. Instead, no, she's just in this, she's in pretty much every frame of this film. And it's an incredible performance, if you ask me. I'm really looking forward to talking properly about Memoria. But I think people talk about Joe. I've heard people say stuff like, most important filmmaker to debut in the 21st century and stuff like that. Mm. I'm inclined to agree, personally. It's a pretty flawless filmography. Going back to Mysterious Object at Noon. Available on second run DVD, Big Up. Mm. And there's also dozens of shorts and a lot of gallery work that he's done. Mm, yeah, definitely saying straight from the off that he's, you know, obviously well known as uh, the preeminent art filmmaker in the world, you know, <laughs> but also in gallery circles, um, sure. installations, site specific stuff as well, which we'll talk about. But they always seem to incorporate short films, which can both be seen as standalone works or things like specifically made for these events and also as like parts of like wider projects like tying into the features and we'll see these like little like clusters of like project work like throughout his career I think. Like a lot of Uncle Boone me who can recall his past lives like the footage used and it was featured in Primitive in yeah. this region of Northern Thailand in Nabua. Yeah, for sure. So that was in 2009 where he was like spending time in this village, Nabua, which is like a centre of sort of resistance against the sort of totalitarian government in the 70s, you know, of communism, students fleeing there, you know, I guess because it's mainly like a area associated with labour rather than like urban industries, the affiliation was like obvious as like workers or as farmers, they became political sure there's a thing that's touched on in pretty much all his films communists getting round up the color red being banned in this part of thailand etc apart from memoria which is uh you know it investigates the politics of like drilling and fracking and these sorts of things mm. but in a far less direct way than all of his other films which have like really harrowing moments and conversations about the two revolutions in thailand in 76 but even that, like over the course of his um, filmmaking, like pretty much every film has been treated completely differently by the Thai government. Like mm. some of them have been ridiculously censored. He says that like like one of the main factors for you know making his first film outside of Thailand is the conditions for making art films are like even more restrictive. It's even harder for him to get a film off the ground than it has been before. Yeah, I mean they've always been. Um, they've never. He's never been part of the 
Thai studio system. All of his films have been funded by, you know, European Danny art Glover. funds. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, in terms of the reception of his films in Thailand, mm. uh, I guess there's so much. That I feel like I've learned a lot about Thailand, like you know, reading around this, um, listening to him speak about this. But, and what a yeah. voice to listen to the song. <laughs> sure. Um, I guess something really important to note is that these films, even though on a sort of international level they're viewed as like Thai cinema, in Thailand, because they're set so far from, you know... It's extremely they're regional set, They're cinema, set on the but... periphery yeah. using regional um, dialects, um, you know. Yeah, because I guess They're seen like... as alien within Thailand. So yeah, because, of course, they got the protector to watch. Man. <laughs> You've seen that about the elephant. <laughs> no, no. Uh, the to- like the Tony Jaa filmography and obviously loads of other filmmakers that... I'm less familiar with. I wanted to watch Tears of the Black Tiger before this. I mean, you were saying that like Ong Bak came out the same year That's as uh, Tropical Malady. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that uh, provides like a pretty clear picture of the sort of um, two <laughs> modes of filmmaking there. The two national um, cinemas yeah. or whatever. I mean, there's an obvious interest in like media in mm. Joe's work, um, especially like soap operas, um, forms of theatre. He made Iron Pussy as well. How yeah. could we forget? Which is sure. sort of Austin powers he. Yeah, but I mean that's interesting. It's like I could I couldn't actually. I only watched like um, ten minutes of it because I could only find like a clip, unfortunately. But that one, he worked with Michael Shawanasai, a queer Thai American artist slash actor, etc. Who plays the title character, who's this like female super spy. Also worth noting, and I think this is like a pretty key aspect of his work in yeah films like Tropical Maddy that has a gay romance in it and a bunch of other ones as well yeah uh he's one of the preeminent like queer filmmakers in world cinema yeah and you know factors in pretty heavily one of the biggest legends in world cinema (laughs) (laughs) but um i guess this is like a common like western idea of like thailand as well that they just have like a different sort of framework of like sexuality and gender there or like transgender people just like have a different place in society still like extremely peripheral but like an integral part of like the tourism industry sure. basically um and the edinburgh fringe and, still to this day bizarre and i think like conceptually that sphere is like also the same as like homosexuality yeah that's there are quotes um, saying that pretty much yeah. and like there's there's stuff about like people not being able to believe that there's like just like homosexual relationships which are more common in the north yeah. supposedly I mean, there's a lot of dialogue that, like, talking about this up front because it's got this dude playing Iron Pussy. Iron Pussy. <laughs> but even that, like, all of his films have a huge, like, relationship with genre cinema, mm, stuff like that. Going horror. Up to horror, yeah. Like, um, you know, there's a strong strain of, like, um, like ghost, sure. ghost cinema, like, throughout um, as, like, one of, like, the main, like, popular Thai genres. Um, in fact, there's a great article called, like, Thai Cinema from the 70s. Fantastic. Um, it's, like, a chapter which I'd really recommend people read by um, Anchali Kai Warapon. Yeah, i definitely recommend seeking that out for, like, a good, like, survey of, like, the sort of climate of cinema leading up to the emergence of Joe's, like, very distinct mode of, like, art cinema, which has been, like, very influential in Thailand. Subsequently, perhaps I'll talk about um, Anosha... So which are corn pongs, um, by the time it gets dark, I think it's called. Really want to see um, that. Which is also about the legacy of, you know, totalitarianism in the 70s. US-backed mm-hmm. right-wing junters is what I'm trying to say. Um, 
Yeah. The classic, um, <laughs> classic film grades material. Yeah. yeah uh, Not the first time. I dare say it won't be the last that we reckon mm, with this. Is in in Joe Cinema, like it reckons like with that like troubling history like throughout the whole thing, even just by like showing soldiers like there aren't like explicit conversations about it although there are some bits where it's like you know talking about like killing communists in the past and yeah. like that's in every film i reckon even blissfully yours maybe i'd say sometimes it's like more of the, uh, well there's a bit in blissfully yours where they're driving and um the girl says to the guy like oh there are um, the ghosts of like japanese soldiers in the woods oh, yeah, that's right. um but that's actually like not a very ghostly film like compared to I'd say the majority of his filmography. How much of a misconception do you think it is that like these films are like totally fantastical? Because it's a really because we were talking about magical realism earlier on the pod. Mm. Off the pod. Off, off, <laughs> off the pod, of course. And I think you brought up Pan's Labyrinth and sort of like opposition to like Uncle Boom Me. Yeah, I think there's a definite gap between the two. Where in Pan's Labyrinth, um, they go into the underground, you know, sure. whereas the Palimpsest of like history and time and memory mm. in um, Joe's representation of society is more of like a, you know, a matrix where, yeah. And especially with the belief in reincarnation, which the matrix goes is, throughout. Matrix is a great comparison. There's <laughs> uh, <laughs> the bit in um, a scene that really is brilliant for this is in Cemetery of Splendor where Genjira Pongpas, Pongpas, who is in a lot of his movies, um, a sensational screen presence. Definitely. Sorely missed in memoria for me. You wish you wish it was her instead of Tilda. I mean it wouldn't have worked, but she's walking around with um the other the other woman who's like said that she's a princess, even though she's also just a nurse visiting. Um but then she is allowing herself to channel this sort of paralyzed patient it, um, who Genjira has been caring for. Anyway, they're walking around the whole this uh, hospital, like the the grounds of this hospital, and the the other woman is saying to her like, "Oh, now we're walking into the the king's music room or whatever," and describing the sort of what the land was like five hundred years ago or whatever they're talking from about. the perspective of, of it. it from one of his past lives. Yeah, and this is something that's throughout all these films, and it is yeah exactly what I was saying. Like when we talk about oh, you know, public memory mm. in like. Um, like a history seminar or something it means very different something very different to this like you know shared sense of like what has happened that you can actually like tap into you know talking about remembering f how you died when you were a mm. boy mm. and this is like a middle-aged woman or whatever you know the, I love these it. films are littered with like these sorts of things that just like make how we process the past like seem more I guess that's why it doesn't need to be verbalised as much. Sure. In terms of being having like a serious conversation about like, oh, like what happened in this year, like yeah. because it's just like part of the fabric of consciousness. In Memoria, so the second half of Memoria, she uh, Jessica, played by Tilda Swinton, meets the second character called Hernan, um, who doesn't Hernan have a TV. Too. Hernan too, who doesn't have a TV and stuff, and he never watches movies because he remembers everything that ever happened. Yeah, great. Um, like Borges' Funes the Memorius, although, of course, Joe only read that after he finished oh, his book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he's, he's telling this story. He's like, I know every story. Like, I'll tell you, tell you a good story. There was this man who was, like, on lunch, and he sat down to have lunch, and then he got robbed. 
and he died and that's the story and she's like oh that's a great story and then you sort of hear it happening and then you realize it's like in swashbuckling time just from like hearing the chains <laughs> clink and yeah. like i don't know again it's, it's dealt with in a pretty different way in memoria but also he's talking about the same stuff he's talking about the land and mm. it's a real it's kind of made me view a lot of his work which i've loved for a long time in a different way because i mean he makes all his films about his own personal memory or like his parents and stuff like that and now he's trying to it's not even about reincarnation anymore it's about perpetuity and like, sure i guess something that does run throughout his um previous work mm. his like thai-based work is this sense of um otherworldliness right spaceships yeah um oh, it's not yeah, any of that stuff in memoria like, though like yeah <laughs> but that um you know cast like what could be read as like buddhist beliefs into in a slightly different light where it is more like thinking about the world as like all being aliens right rather than all being like parts right. of local things dianetics like, <laughs> Because there is, again, like that bit in The Master when he's talking about we were in the pigeon post. Like, that's, exactly, yeah. that's like a scene out of one of his films. It really is. <laughs> but, I mean, it's true. Like, So there's a great article by Benedict Anderson, who's famous. He wrote about Imagine Community, something I forgot that I read like 10 years ago. Um, but he was a really big fan of Pitch Pong, Weirdest Ethical's work, especially Tropical Malady. He's got an essay. He's written quite a few essays about his work, actually. Um, but he's got an essay in this one book about Vichon Weiris Ethical that I had to go to the BFI Ruben Library to read, something I'd recommend everyone do all the time. Oh, it's a great book series, actually. The yeah. um, Vienna, mm. the, oh, uh, Vienna right Film there. Museum Jeez. Cinema Publication. And and yeah, they make really peng books. Yeah. yeah. This one's got like, you know, bit by Tony Raines, like three different interviews. Yeah. Like, mm. very good book recommend it it is from 2009 or something as well yeah so, it's like I Uncle Boon Me hadn't even come out anyway Anderson's talking about how there's only one way people talk about his work over here or like here being like can the states the UK or whatever like, beloved by can you know yeah well I think but, all of his films have debuted in competition at can and almost all of them have won a big prize mm -hmm. deservedly so but like I think it's the, this coexistence of the like living history and it's like stuff that all the actors can remember as well like it's not like a reach for anyone so sorry something i feel like we haven't even touched upon they're all non-professional actors right sure and working sure. with um tilda swinton in this new one it does provide like a different vibe it's not just her um, as well it's got jean balabar who's in a lot of deplachan films yeah. and the dude plays don diego de zama yeah, yeah. but the way their like lives are woven into the films in like sort of improvisational sense and like they're literally talking about their lives in these films yeah of course yeah is crazy definitely you know well because it's good There's nothing like good acting or like uh, tilda swinton called it behavior instead of acting or whatever in one of these q a's right but yeah that's a great essay about the sort of misconceptions of his work by treating it as just sort of like totally abstract fantasy cinema or whatever which is really not because even like what I was struggling to describe in these sequences, like, is very straightforwardly treated, and when you're actually watching the films, and it coexists with like so many different genres. Wouldn't it 
be a sensation Come back to like reincarnation I was a tree, you was a flower What we'll do when we wait for the power of reincarnation Reincarnation Wouldn't it be a sensation To come back to like reincarnation So you know what we like to do on Film Grey is we keep it real. We keep about the exhibition culture of these movies. And we're quite lucky. I think like Memoria is still showing tonight at Close Up. They're still doing retrospective of his work there. I've heard about like legendary all-night retrospectives of a pitch upon Weir Sethical's work at the Tate. I've never seen a film there. Like, fucking hell. Who told us? No, no one told no. us. <laughs> um, and recently at the ICA, they had 3 plus 3. He was showing... Uncle Boom Me, who can recall his past lives on a beautiful 35mm print. Mekong Hotel and Cemetery Splendor paired with I Walk With A Zombie by Jacques Tonneur, The Conversation by Francis Ford Coppola, The Madman, and Pure Blood by Louis Ospina, which I haven't seen. The Conversation obviously informs Memoria with its sort of like working with sound recordings element to the mm. plot i mean i think it was paired with mekong hotel because in that one the whole time they're like testing audio right sure and there's like mixes in like every shot sure <laughs> yeah yeah that's but awesome. um yeah obviously go to a bone. um he said with i walk with a zombie which i mean i adore and like obviously cat people is a huge influence on tropical malady but um he actually said that memoria could be i walk with a zombie too and uh, Tilda Swinton's character has the same name as the main character in that, this Jessica. sort of stuff. A continuation <laughs> of Jessica's zombie walk, yeah. he said. I love it. That's great, yeah. Um, I Walk the Zombie. I love almost as much as these films. I, I wish I'd fucking gone. But it's on iPlayer. I've seen it like five times on iPlayer, man. Mm. It's just there. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. RKO. Same with cat people, I think. At some point. <laughs> I don't know. It's available for over a year. Every year. <laughs> yeah. But um, there's nothing like either seeing his films in the cinema or watching them on your phone, like with headphones on. Sure. Like, either is like just the staggering experience every time. Yeah, we both got to see um, Uncle Boo and Me at the ICA during that presentation. Um, Busy screenings. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Um, I think there were two of that one. Sadly, didn't make it to any of the other ones. It is The programming is interesting, though in so far as it shows his like sort of genre interests and like how he conceives these films as correlating with um, American ones when his American influences are actually way more on the avant-garde. Um, Bruce Bailey and yeah. Andy Warhol. Of, he said like, exactly. he's never actually watched Empire, but he loves it. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that really sums it up. Um, we did watch some Bruce Bailey work, actually, especially Quick Billy. Killer. Um, which Loved was it. a really interesting film. Again, had like a spoof element to it, similar to his work. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like an hour long and it's 45 minutes of like light play. And Lens, like... Yes. Um, it's like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a classic bit where like, um, I think Joe is actually at this sort of presentation of his works, mm. Bruce Bailey's works, when he's like... A, old man he's actually passed away a couple of years ago and he's like quite frail at the time and um his family's there including some like quite young family members who i guess had never seen the work before and he's like oh yeah this is this is a pg film uh it has some uh more sort of p 
PG elements. And then it's like, you know, I watched on YouTube, like yeah, 40 yeah. minutes in or something, there's like a bit where he's getting blown. And then it goes to like a photo montage. And like, you know, it's all very like artistic, but like, I don't know, it just did, I mean, that did crack me up. Similar stuff in uh, Blissfully Yours, for example. I really like Quick Billy, like, I thought that there's a there's one like crazy blend in um the cemetery of splendor that reminds me of his work. So I didn't even say that the last quarter of it is like yeah this pastiche western where he plays this character Quick Billy and it's sort of non you know it's yeah um <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome almost like Key Brothers or something like that. When he was eighteen, no, when he was twenty, he studied architecture and then he subsequently went to the Art Institute of Chicago to study filmmaking in the late 90s. I love to imagine him going to see fucking Tortoise and like California, Chicago yeah. underground duo. Like <laughs> to see him as a student of that or a similar movement, like that's just so crazy mm. to me. Then he came back, like having done this film degree in America where he watched a lot of experimental cinema, mm. made Mysterious Object at Noon and Third World and these early shorts. Mm. I think also when he was in America is when he was exposed to like Iranian cinema coming out in the 90s, like Kiyostami and um, Makhmabaf, stuff like this, which, you know, is, I guess, in a lot of people's imagination, like sort of preeminent form of meta filmmaking, you know, reflexive, breaks the fourth wall, whatever, you know, however you want to define it. Um, They they can't help but feel similar (laughs) often, especially when you're looking at like Mekong Hotel, which has a kind of through the olive trees, like show about the show souvenir part two sort of feel i love that one can we just talk about mekong hotel for a yeah, minute because i feel like definitely that was great um, you know it's probably quite under the radar as a nylon um, guitarist that was yeah so like i'm glad it got shown man <laughs> i wish i'd seen it on in cinema it would have been very immersive i think in 5.1 um but yeah the first scene is like joe like watching this guitarist like practice in this hotel on the Mekong River, a river that plays a prominent part in his films and like northeastern mythology, spirituality, ecology, all this stuff. They have those fireballs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. And yeah, the first scene is just Joe and his guitarist, like he's watching the guitarist play. The guitar music like continues throughout like the whole film. Yeah. Um, but then it has like Gendera. He's like, I loved it last night when you went from playing. Spanish style to play in blues halfway through and so you get half an hour of each yeah it's great beautifully played and then um, yeah Gendera is there basically rehearsing lines like um, talking Mm. about you know the sort of dialogue that comes up in these films but in I guess like an even more oblique and sort of cut and paste way sure but it also has um, her as like a pop ghost a ghost that eats um, men's entrails and, like, possesses other characters in the film as well. Again, presented incredibly matter-of-fact. Yeah, I think that's such a key aesthetic element, mm. which maybe we haven't really spoken about. He's often thought of as, like, an exponent of slow cinema. For me, he's not really that. Nah. Um, but we do get a lot of, like, static, unostentatious camera work. Rarely uses pans or dollies. Although when he does, like, it's more meaningful. I think some he used to best. set himself, like, more parameters and, like, over time it's become a bit more free. But I guess, like, some of these films are bifurcated and most of them have, like, mad different styles in the second half. Um, I'm talking, like, Tropical Melody. Like, every time I watch it the first half, I'm like, oh, it's pretty zippy. Like, so much handheld and, like, cool. Or a, it's a like a normal yeah. movie. Like, he loves having, you know, the camera looking out a car window and just 
out of the front or the Classic. back and just like going on ride with the characters where you can just like hear the dialogue. I think uh, he's watched films of uh, Strobier. Of course he has. <laughs> yeah. He's watched. He's a proper sure. cinephile. Yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, obviously it does get to very like naturalistic, pensive, almost like fucking James Benning sometimes. Like the, mm. the last five minutes of Memoria is like such an outro where you're just looking mm. at tree, sky, rock sure. like held shots and it's such a nice way to leave you like i think it makes sense though it doesn't yeah, just course. feel like b-roll because no, no. he spent so much time imbuing these natural phenomena with meaning and you're listening so and memories well, of like, them yeah. themselves you know so well, that's what you think like I, mean, I really appreciate it about memoria because it gives you so much time to just think about the these crazy concepts people are talking about mm. like you need sometimes you need five minutes you know, calm, like, <laughs> sure. yeah. seriously. Can we talk a little bit more about structure in these films? Because, sure. I mean, you mentioned it, and again, that is, like, a very salient feature if we're talking about, like, the experience of them, the pacing of them, um, the meaning of them, because sometimes, I guess, we often get this bifurcated structure where they're literally cut down the middle. Blissfully Yours sort of does that, where the credits come in halfway through after we've, like, spent time in the city with the characters. They're, like, driving out bang the credits second half of the film set in the jungle tropical manly two years later first half is this like queer romance in the city second half with a very clear cut in the middle nighttime in the jungle there's a soldier on the trail of a man who turns into a tiger yeah um and there's no dialogue. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah basically syndromes in a century <sighs> Uh, set in a hospital, his pe- his parents' hospital, yeah. and like the first half from like the perspective of like a woman doctor, sort of analog of his mum. Second half of a, a male doctor, analog of his dad, and the way these half sort of mirror and like subvert the what's been established or yeah. like shift. And they often have they share the same dialogue for most of the the film. Like. Yeah. So then when it's different, it's like oh, <laughs> you went there. <laughs> yeah. This man loves the hospital, right? He yeah, says yeah. like, oh, hospital is the most comforting, calming place. Is like the opposite of how like Bergman feels about the hospital or something, for example. But I mean, you're in the hospital in all of his films. Sometimes it's like sort of sitcommy. The start of Blissfully Yours, for example. Crazy opening. Yeah. Cold, Definitely. cold open yeah. in a hospital. Very Roy Anderson mode. That's the same, actually, isn't it? <laughs> I was thinking about Roy a lot in relation to Roy's like the sort of hard moment. Like. You know, well, it just works like yeah. as a comparison and as like a ethic for filmmaking, sure. where you have exhibitions to supplement your work, sure. short films to explore the you know other aspects of the themes in them. I'd like to um, watch a few commercials. I wish like more commercials would be directed by. Happy chat from where is that cool? The peace, most <laughs> of the assault yeah. that you always get in the fucking the, cinema. Um, the hospital thing is really important. Just yeah. like a biographical note, then both yeah. his parents were doctors, as we've mentioned like a bunch of times. But in like a rural hospital in um, the city of Konkan in the Isan region in the north, and yeah, I felt we've already established this a little bit, but so far removed from the milieu and the mindset of Bangkok spiritually vocationally like politically my sister went to thailand like mm. on holiday like years ago and i was asking her recently like oh what do you remember about it and she was like pictures of the king right <laughs> everywhere sure right she sure. just went to bangkok and like an island near it or whatever um but that's like such a central aspect of mm. 
you know, the mainstream, like, political and social world of, like, the South there, nation, monarchy, um, religion, Buddhism. And that includes, like, the army and stuff as well. <laughs> it's just different in the North, man. And, like, this rural hospital is not, like, a, a cold, like, distant place. It's like a locus of community. And that's perhaps what um, Syndromes in a Century, like, sort of, juxtaposes as well oh yeah uh, great scenes of people just having a drink at work <laughs> yeah so that was one of the scenes that was censored that there's a monk playing a guitar there's two monks flying a remote control yeah. spaceship and uh people drink i mean the drinking scene is like a third of the film uh, i mean it's six minutes but it's like a key scene it has a key dolly shot where one of the oh, characters amazing, is doing like a chakra healing on this guy sat around the table and it pulls out and another like middle-aged woman he loves populating his shots with middle-aged women yeah. that's just how he rolls yeah. she's just staring into the camera yeah. with like a sort of like knowing look and then like she eventually just like looks back to what's actually happening like in the knees it's a crazy moment and that was cut for Thai audiences um not that they they left the pipe in the <laughs> yeah, oh, that's just one of the craziest. Everyone's least favorite bit in his filmography. I think it's fucking. Are you crazy. joking? Yeah, of course, man. Who wants to it's look at insane. a pipe? That's an insane moment. Yeah, I love it. The sound again going crazy. It's like something out of Twin Peaks: The Return. I'm sure that comparison's been made a lot. It's astonishing. I, I wish it went on three times as long. I could look at that pipe and just yeah. vibe out. <laughs> I mean, okay, so. It has this, like, selected Ambient Works Volume 2 thing going on. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's like, yeah, this is fire. I don't. Um, I never listen to Ambient Music, man, but it, I get so nourished out of watching these movies, like, as a way to spend your time. Um, if The thing I was saying earlier about, like, how at the end of Memoria, yeah. like, it earns, like, showing nature in that way. This earns showing the basement of a hospital in that way. Absolutely. Um, and, you know... By that point, yeah, we have to think about what's going on and, yeah, we have to be confronted by that. Also, um, he did a installation um, in Gwangju in South Korea, um, famous for the Gwangju uprising against, like, the um, like right-wing government in, yeah. in the 80s. Similarly, in a hospital and, I think, some other sites where he, like, projected stuff and had, like, loads of lights going and... You know, sounds wavy, man. <laughs> yeah, but it, well, reading about it, it sounds you know, it's, <laughs> it sounds like the end of syndromes in a century, basically, just right. like making a space evocative. I mean, in Cemetery of Splendor, this like light therapy that the sleeping, the soldiers who have sleeping sickness are, are going through, that looks like one of his art installations just put in the middle of a hospital. Beautiful. I don't know why they have these. No, it seems like it's purely an aesthetic thing. Um, but yeah, it's great. It has a crazy effect. Um, so, so the premise for that is that their soldiers are at this like hospital where he grew up and they right, have a right sleeping sickness because it's on top of... An ancient burial ground. Yeah, of kings. <laughs> um, like the China. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's about Genjira falling in love with the... The one, it, the one she's looking after. Like, there's such a romantic element to every single one of these movies, even Memoria, which has a sort of lost love disappearance. These disappearances throughout the film, like films, are quite a big thing as well. Actually, yeah. like characters just like slipping off into the night, 
or, happens in quite a lot of them. Or just appearing at the dinner table out of thin air. <laughs> Let's talk about that bit in Uncle Boomy. Yeah, we haven't sure. even really talked about Uncle Boomy, but I mean, that's just sort of beguiling. Yeah. Like, the scene where you the table is set for them. Oh, yeah. To just appear and just appear so slowly, like cla- oh, silent cinema, double exposure. But just so his wife is there as a apparition, his son is there as a um, like a monkey like ghost. Chewbacca. Like yeah, exactly. He looks like Chewbacca. Yeah. That's probably like the iconic image from the filmography, sure. arguably. Great um, image. Yeah. Oh, the bit um, where there's loads of them. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, then, yeah, sensational film, and it deals with like memory on these two levels, where like. It has like these like sort of eruptions in time and space and um, like physicality where people are turning up in like different forms, but in like real time. And then also these sort of flashbacks or like tales within it. Mm. Um, worth noting also that this this film is based on based a on book a story. written by a monk yeah. about a story writ- told to him by a guy in the village. Yeah. It's called A Man Who Can Recall His yeah, Past Lives. And um, it was like given to him while he was working on Primitive when he thought it was going to be a way more sort of... The the, the first bit he would have started with is like, oh, I wish I hadn't killed so many communists or whatever. Mm-hmm. My life wouldn't be so miserable if I hadn't killed so many communists. Yeah. The dialogue in these films is all crazy like mm. throughout. Like the, in a way that I would always say about like Tarkovsky in the same way, but no one really talks about them. Like they're dialogue heavy, like some of the best screenplays ever. But I mean, second half Memoria is the same thing. Uncle Boomy has everything in it that people would like about his filmography, I think. Spirituality. Yeah. Bestiality. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, it's great. It's great. Watching it in the cinema, a very like mixed audience as well. A lot of young people. Yeah. Your eyes get so attuned to the, you know, the cave sequence in... Uncle Boon Me. And same with the start of Memoria where like it opens in total darkness, like the first light of day and like the first half an hour of the film, you're like it's, your eyes are getting like slightly more attuned and like your ears are getting more like into it. I mean Also Uncle Boon Me ends with one of Joe's many, many legendary music drops. I love this tune so um, much. Like the characters are all in like a hotel room and then like they divide basically. Yeah, they leave. And, they like, leave they, them to watch like they some they leave TV. themselves <laughs> to watch TV and like go to like a cafe where it's on the jukebox. Um, sensational, but he has these like pop music drops in yeah. his films that just. I mean, after in Syndromes in the Century, after the like super ambient bit where we're like staring at this funnel for like over uh, over two minutes. Um, <laughs> it then like, cuts to like an outdoor like exercise sequence of a tune like bear sounds like deer hoof. <laughs> we get a lot of these like outdoor exercise scenes yeah. um, where it's just like an opportunity to hear a lit tune. A lit tune. <laughs> Again, Cemetery Spender has the same thing, and like it's always such a pleasurable moment. Like best tune I've ever heard in the ICA. You know, like straight up Penguin Villa, Acrophobia. It's called. Yeah, he loves the music, and it's you know it's all like sort of late nineties like trip hop or like sort of sort of post rocky, yeah, Radiohead sort of. There's a great album on Spotify just tunes from his records that I listen to all the time. Got it offline. Music also features very heavily in Memoria. I think this is a reason why some of my mates have really loved it so much is because it's got like five minutes like visualizing what it's like to be on a door like doing EQ and stuff like that. 
you get to look at like logic mm-hmm. and like watch people using it <laughs> trying to make a sound this scene is so awesome and it's also got you know you watch a great sort of experimental jazz rock band that scene on the sound desk is like the opposite of like uh computer enhance sequence you know you're like <laughs> proper like watching him like oh how about this one and then yeah. it's like bang sound number 10 okay, i love that so much. <laughs> she's trying to describe the sound and they're like oh okay here we go here we go getting it doing all these like subtle tweaks and every time you gotta like wait 10 seconds to come for it to come around they got like the fader automations like startling her and like one of those little joke fun bits or whatever like a sort of one of the sort of uh fantasy touches you get in his other work or something like that but then yeah once he goes into the film sound effects library they find the right sound it's hilarious (laughs) the actual sound effect they found was body hits duvet hit woods bat that's the one that worked i also just love how romantic the music he's working on is like as she walks in past the glass and like the music her nan's working on before she comes in is like fucking swooning like rebecca soundtrack or something like that he's another character that disappears mid-film yes you know, and it's really uh, sad because they're falling in love like yeah. he wants to buy her the orchid um thing <laughs> and then she never sees him again it's uh and then she, you know this is one of the things i love about swinton's performance because she's like heartbroken she like feels really weird. She's got this horrible, weird illness, which supposedly Joe suffered from himself. Exploding head syndrome. Yeah, it's actually quite benign. <laughs> Where <Wait>, you? <laughs> um, well, you hear a mysterious sound. It's really loud, and I like, wait. You know, you can't. Yeah. I mean, she said she never slept in her life, man. And you feel the pain. You know, when she's tripping at the end of the film, she's mm. like, never seen someone facial acting that well before. Not even Lady Gaga in uh, in House of Gucci. Like it was <laughs> properly like awesome to watch. Um, you were so excited about Memoria. Yeah, I saw it sometime before me. Actually, um, did you? I mean, it did live up to your expectations. Yeah, I was it? absolutely satisfied. I saw it. I was sitting in the front row at the uh, film festival at the Royal Festival Hall. People had been complaining about the sound, but I mean, for a film that has such crucial sound, like yeah, it was still like fucking loud when these bangs happen same sound designer throughout pretty much his whole filmography by the way oh what's his name Acritulum. Mm. um he must have had a lot uh, of fun working on this one well sure this is definitely like a sound design one you know where you get to it's like concept work not nominated for an oscar for sound like crazy i mean it's no um June or uh, one of these ones you can't hear yeah, anything I can't, hear, I can't even remember it's <laughs> <laughs> no Cruella or right. whatever <laughs> um, but yeah I was, I was seriously gassed and you know I was still a bit trepidatious as well but I mean there's nothing I could have looked forward to more than a new film from this guy I really do love all of his work a lot this was the first one I saw in cinema it was before we saw um, Memorial um, before we saw Uncle Boon Me as part of that ICA program and um there was a mysterious sound coming from somewhere like just outside the cinema, like the fire exit or something. Of course, man. The whole film. And um, so I sort of felt a little bit like Tilda when I was watching it, you know, like a little bit like on edge and like fucked off. Can't put a price on that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Getting to have it on at my cinema like a few weeks after release, I was just so happy, you know, like it was all right. Some people turned up as well. Yeah. 
sold more than Souvenir, tell you that much. Mm. And yeah, got to really blast it through those speakers. So it's certainly not my favourite of his work. I think it's the best one. Yeah. I think they're all the best one. When I was watching Cemetery of Splendor this morning, I was like, this is the best one. Yeah, it's very easy to feel that way after everyone you watch, for I think sure. Memoria is the one that sort of feels the grandest to me. It reminded me of like straight in that like stalker, Celine and Judy Goboiting territory for me, where it's like, it's got such a grand metaphor that, you know, no one's made a film about this that feels like this before. And it's so big, as well as being really personal and having all the touches of his film making. But I don't know. Something I literally haven't stopped thinking about since I watched it. Sure. Which I'm so grateful for. Like, that's fantastic, you know. That's all you can ask for, really. <laughs> um, well, it's quite a lot to ask, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so huge like best way to put it like i had to listen to perfect from now on by built spill as soon as i got out of the cinema flow mm. you however you weren't quite as hot on it especially now you've seen all of the other stuff mm. right yeah there are a few things that make it obviously different from mm. the rest of his work even if thematically it's very similar and you know i did really like it i think tilda is always going to be a bit of an issue for me sure I think setting it in Colombia was an interesting decision and one that makes a lot of sense, actually, because, I mean, in terms of how he shoots it, it's basically very similar to the countryside of northern Thailand. Certainly. Um, and using the sort of city-countryside divide, it's the same. It's the same. You know, it does the same thing. Even stuff like at the beginning, how I guess it plays with like the idea of language as yeah. well. Where, like, at the beginning she, like, can't really speak Spanish that well. And then by the end she's, like, having this, you know, mind-sharing conversation with this guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a great movie to watch twice, I think. Because, like, when you when you have the sort of city-bound first half and you see all these, like... You see the Copernicus statue and stuff and all these, like, massive monumental buildings. You're like, God, what's this stone's life been like? Like, the day it got cut out of that quarry and turned into Nicholas Copernicus. <laughs> Like, God, what was that day like? like <laughs> fucking hell, you know. Obviously a great statue to set that scene in front of when she's listening to her sound on the headphones. Sure. He likes showing statues. Yeah. You know, but, great... uh, historical figures, you know. <laughs> There's the great one in Cemetery Splendor where, like, she comes to the one bench of two people like holding hands like on a sculpture and it's like, oh, I love to come here when I'm confused this about love. This is a love. crazy shot. And then it pans and then it's like you clock that this this bench is in front of like a sort of identical one, but it's two skeletons or whatever. <laughs> like, it's mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the 
an effective use of camera movement, you know. I saw Mystery and of like, Lisbon yesterday <clears throat> in this like similar sort yeah. of mode with these these like little it moves like a yard or something and it changes your whole perspective on what you've just seen. Like Yeah. I mean film is all about disclosure like that. If used successfully it can just change the game. He's good at making um, these movies, yeah. man. <laughs> I really want to watch Mysteries of Lisbon, by the way. I watch it with you anytime. Loved it. I guess with Medellin, where where a lot of it is shot, these like sort of plazas and stuff, he doesn't really get anything similar. I mean, you got the exercise sort of space, but I mean, there's bits in Memoria that are shot like the square or something, where he's from like the other side of this like massive town square, and he's like looking at Tilda and her mate like on a on a bench having a conversation. You know, gets to really use the space. Mm, like, sure, I think he responded to the challenge of filming somewhere else in like. He like knocked it out of the park, basically. Like same visual strategies, though, as sure. you just said, and you know, sure. it's a great film. I would have liked to have watched it again in the cinema, but um, and I'm sure in the future, if we lived in America, you could be. just constantly see it in the cinema, right? Because it's not getting any sort of home release; it's just touring around. Is that I knew that was the original plan. Is that what's actually? They're still doing it, but Neon, I think that Neon have moved on to another film now that they want to. <laughs> red rocket or something i don't know great well maybe by the time we get this out our american listeners will have been able to see memoria otherwise sorry for the spoilers i feel like we've actually been relatively um you know we sort of circumnavigated the the core of the film which you know it is like a mystery film and it sort of sucks to like draw it out too much i guess it's a bit like a again like it's got a question Mm. It asks a question. Same with like Uncle Boomy. Same with Cemetery Splendor. Like it doesn't. You can't really spoil it. The same way that like reading about these films is like really interesting, but also like you can't beat the experience of just sitting with one of these films, watching them, and then like having it fuck up your whole day. Like, which is what happens every time. I've seen some of these films like seven, eight times. Mm. Like, completely change you. Like when you walk out, when you when you watch the credits, like. Not only are they profound, but it's just like a beautiful experience, like every time. Mm. Even Mysterious Object at Noon, which is like, oh yeah, let's talk about that. Playful. It's a, it's a bit different. Yeah. Uh, on a formal level, I mean, it has a experimental structure. It's basically the idea of the exquisite corpse is always used to describe it, where you like draw the head and then someone else draws the body or whatever. And, yeah. They carry on telling the story. Yeah. Interviewing um, people from around the country. Yeah. Or for, mainly from the north, yeah, and yeah, it's like a crazy story, you know, about <laughs> obviously because like loads of people get to tell it, in, including children. Yeah, it encompasses like ghosts and like more like mundane stuff. Um, and it's shot like a stropier film or something like that. It feels it feels like that sort of formal, mm. or like um, again, Kiarostami or something like that. Kislovsky's film about like interviewing people about what means to sure. Them. Yeah, 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 and then at the end, yeah, it says at noon, <laughs> and then you just like watch kids play football for like ten minutes. Love it. Um, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's playful, but the rest of his films, I'd say, are more like not like narrative works. I mean, that is like a quintessential narrative work, but they just struck. <sighs> so you have that. You also have that at the end of Cemetery of Splendor, but like yes. the you know the, the Genjira Pongpass, like her characters go through such heartbreaking things, like her getting in the water at the end of Blissfully Yours, or her like when her like legs been getting worse and worse, like over the course of the film, and she's just sitting there like watching the kids play football, and like she's got a really disturbed look on her face. Actually, you know, it's very very moving, 
to me. And I think it reminds me of like how Simon Lang works with Li Kang Sheng, having his sort of physical ailments inform like the content of the films, like from conception. But um but I wouldn't actually draw that many comparisons with them. I mean he a pitch fong obviously says like Goodbye Dragon is the best film of the past twenty five years and all this sort of stuff and like the best film of the last 125 years sorry but um again i think like there's a lot more of the sort of myth and sort of political history in his films as opposed to just the slowness touching your soul mm. of size work i mean i haven't seen enough size to like really pick up on it stray dogs patreon I mean, i think yeah sure. great i think the main comparison that people draw between them is yeah, the aesthetic yeah the the slow take or whatever sure but I mean, you're, you've drawn an interesting <laughs> line between them that hopefully I'll be able to pick up in the future. <laughs> um, um, if I can, quickly, actually, I wanted to talk about um, Anosha, Switch Corn Pong's um, By the Time It Gets Dark, oh, another please. film that talks about... Um, another very meta film about a filmmaker trying to make a film about the memory of the 1976 um, Junta, where, like, three years earlier there'd been a sort of pro-democracy movement mm. and like communist movement um yeah mainly a student movement and there's an interesting film from that period called tong pan yeah which is available in parts on youtube and is one of the very very few films from thailand that investigates or depicts these issues even you reference these like sort of propaganda historical films mm. in the 70s one of the main like sort of social filmmakers was a literal prince right yeah. and that i mean that sort of goes to show like the sort of value system sounds like, like britain the, today the doesn't extent it? of like progress or progressive thought yeah. um sorry but this this film by the time it gets dark is about trying to you know come to terms with this memory it also does it in like a wavy way where like you know the filmmaker finds like a glowing mushroom like halfway through the film and then like there's a bit of a vibe switch obviously um <laughs> a crazy sequence where like she, the character is just like recording herself direct camera address where she's talking about like how when she was a kid like she was um telekinetic she could like move things with right. her mind and then like when she tells someone about it like it starts working all these like sort of mystical things but then woven into like the fabric of like national trauma and like modern lived experience. Yeah, don't you wish Radu Jude had some of these sort of orbs and <laughs> I mean they're they're very comparable actually. Sure, um, but yeah. yeah, I guess that film he... by the time it gets started sounded a lot like barbarians to me or whatever, the way it was sort of described before. Yeah, but with way more of a sort of I guess people <sighs> At least in criticism that I read, like, mm. critics, writers are like, oh, we should be careful to use words like mystical. And, yeah, of course, you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, you know, exoticize this Thai filmmaker or filmmakers, sure. as it were. But, I mean, you're watching the princess sad, fuck the catfish. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, it's not, this is, it's this not that deep. <laughs> must not think this is mystical. <laughs> yeah, but. exactly. When you find a glowing mushroom in the woods and then, like, the film becomes something else or whatever, like, that is mystical. It's not that deep. <laughs> And that can still be reconcilable with, like, an interrogation of national memory and, like, yeah. atrocities. Just ask Van Morrison, dude. 
Um, if so, if someone's listening and they haven't seen any of a Pitch Upon Weary Seconds films, what do you think would be the best starting place? My first one was Tropical Malady. Mine too. Oh no, sorry, mine was um, Cemetery of Splendor, which you picked for Film Club wow. like two years ago. Great Film Club watch. That was sensational. And then Tropical Malady when we like picked it up as yeah. a research project. Tro- I, for me, I'd probably say that Tropical Malady is a great one. I, I watched, yeah, I watched it in class. Uh, I had a teacher called Tyler Parks. He was like. You guys should watch this. I guess he was teaching it. But, I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. Like, talk about a great film to watch when you're 19 to actually blow your mind. Like, I mean... Well, it revels in the possibility of storytelling and, like, visual art. Can't believe they shot a scene where the dude had sex with the tiger. Or the tiger had sex with the dude, I guess. And they took it out. Um... I can't believe it either, and I haven't read it. So. And there's that, there's that bit where you know, there's the girl who like walks away and she's got a tiger tail or whatever that we we both don't remember seeing. Or yeah, I don't remember that. First time. Time. I mean, I read it in the uh, maybe the Tony Raines article in yeah. the um, James Quant monograph, um, and I had to go back and yeah, it's there. Yeah, but it's so beguiling. It's like, I mean, it's it's like one forty-five minute long shot or whatever, even though it's so beautifully directed. But I mean. You can't beat the second half of Tropical Malady. Like, mm. it's so but I mean, it works even more power- powerfully by virtue of being paired with the first half of and, you know, eliciting these parallels. Um, the first half is pretty straightforward and does actually have parallels with um, Goodbye Dragon Inn, with the scene where they go to the cinema. Sure. And, um, yeah, there's also... The army. Some- yeah, yeah, the army, yeah, the army stuff. And there's a great scene in that sequence, like, in that first half, actually, where there, it's a classic Joe shot of like riding, uh, yeah, being on road and like just the camera seeing what's going on around it. Again, pretty ratty dude, actually, I'd say. Mm. And someone's being like beaten up, and then Mad. they like throw a bottle like in the direction while of they're the moving, thing, and like... it's like. These films always blend fiction and reality, mm. sometimes like in very deliberate ways and sometimes in more like accidental ways. And some, you know, that's part of the pleasure of watching them yeah, as well. Just, I think. just one for the bingo card. Like they've all got <coughs> the, the out one bit where like they're shooting on the street and then you just got someone like pointing at the camera. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Why would he let something, <laughs> a beautiful human moment like that get in the way of a film where all the dialogue is going to be recorded in a studio anyway? Like. In a mysterious object, he steps out into the frame yeah. to direct people, yeah. and you know that's that's why it's great when you see him at, in the Mekong Hotel again. It's like yeah, it's bad. <laughs> but I mean, you, know, you can watch this dude getting interviewed by Bellatar. Like, mm. there's so much of him talking. Like, much like his films are really jokes. Like, he's really jokes and like self-deprecating, but also like very deliberate and like he's not fucking around. You know, he's like he knows what he's doing and like. He's there to call out a lot of misconceptions about his work in like a sort of nice way. Hopefully he never listens. <laughs> <laughs> I've loved doing this one. Podcast over. Never going to love a film as much yeah, as Memoria okay. ever again. <laughs> no cap. Um, yeah. we got loads of good stuff coming up soon, folks. Mm, got yeah. some good guests. Yeah. We've got a Patreon. Lots in the pipeline. Trepend skulls. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, lots to look forward to. Been a pleasure to watch these films. Thanks for suggesting it, making me do it. Oh, uh, <laughs> it had to happen. Like, yeah. I'm so pleased I did. There's, you know, we could do a whole episode just about his shorts as well, the, the ones we haven't watched today. Like, I mean, they're so 
rich. Yeah, I, I mean, as you said at the beginning, I think there are, there are literally dozens of them. Wikipedia, I think, lists over 40. Yeah. And I've probably seen about 10. Um, but they're all very, you know, some of them are very diaristic, um, much like the films are. Mm. Um, and, yeah, uh, again, often part of, like, his installation. So they're not even really... I don't know if we'll ever be able to see them. Presumably at some point, someone will put out a huge collection of them. There's a masterclass video where you can see him doing mm. a lecture and he's pointing at like sort of videos of his installations or whatever. Yeah. Dims the lights. So that's quite good to watch. But um, this man could have single-handedly got me into like gallery cinema, whatever, making me want to see it. Because I mean... You'll catch us at Fact Liverpool before <laughs> you know it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Mm, yeah. And if you're still listening, please give us a positive rating and subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. Nice. <laughs>